You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. This is a familiar chapter for many of you. This morning we are dipping into a book of the Bible where uh, several genres merge, if you know anything about the book of Daniel. Uh, obviously, we have some narrative. That's the sharing of history. We have apocalyptic language in the book of Daniel, which we'll not get into today, but that's there. And then we have a prophetic bent in Daniel, right? He's speaking into his culture. He's got something very specific to say to them. There's a message he wants them to hear about regarding faith in God. And I do think Daniel's prophetic message is as relevant today as it was during his time. In the book of Daniel, we read how God is sovereign over nations and kings. We just read that earlier, right? God is sovereign over us. From Nebuchadnezzar, the first king we read about in the book of Daniel, to Belshazzar, who is the last king that we read about in the book of Daniel, and every king in between, God is sovereign. That's one of the overarching themes in the book. The sovereign God of the universe wants his rulers and kings to be about righteousness and mercy. Here's Daniel's warning to Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 4. And again, I'm just kind of trying to lay it out, put, put a frame around the picture when we get into Daniel 6. Here's what he says. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Quite the message for Daniel, a Jew, to share with the most powerful ruler in the earth at that time. And this is very applicable to us. Democrat, Republican, it does not matter. Every ruler and politician must heed the prophetic and ever-relevant warning from Daniel. So this is the context of what I am calling Christian descent. Christian descent being the moments and times when a follower of the living God does not obey the government or perhaps your boss at work. Admittedly, the line between submitting and descent, submitting to your governing authorities and descent is not always apparent which is why we need God's word, we need help from the Holy Spirit, and we need to pray. So I'm gonna briefly pause, pray one more time, and get into a topic that I think, if I'm being honest, it's pressing on a lot of my own buttons. I know it's gonna press some of yours, but I think it's absolutely relevant for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, admittedly, I need your help. 
by the power of your spirit, come illuminate the word to our hearts. Help, it to, help us to make it relevant to our own lives. May you, oh God, be glorified as we live and strive to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In his book, Live Not by Lies, uh, Rob Dreer recounts a story, one story after story, about Christians who dissented against Soviet communism. He tells stories about people from Poland, Slovakia, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, and of course, Soviet Russia. From the 1920s until the 1980s, approximately, citizens of the Soviet Union were to have one allegiance, one. Its allegiance, the, the allegiance of every person in Soviet Russia is to its country. Here's one story from Dreer's book. Dreer, Dreer recounts, I sat in a cafe in the heart of Moscow listening to Yuri Sipko, a retired Baptist pastor. In his village classroom in the 1950s in Siberia, Sipko and his classmates were given a badge with a portrait of Lenin. At age 11, the children were given a red scarf of the young pioneers, a kind of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts for the communist youth. Teachers drilled the children in the slogan of the pioneers, be ready, always be ready. I did not wear the pin with Lenin's face on it, nor did I wear the red scarf. I was a Baptist pastor. I wasn't going to do that, recalls Sipko. I was the only one in my class. They went after my teachers. They wanted to know what they were doing wrong, that they had a boy in their class that wasn't a pioneer. They pressured the director of the school too. They were forced to pressure me to save themselves. Now, Dreer continues here. To be a Baptist in Soviet Russia was to know that you are a permanent outsider. They endured it because they knew that truth was embodied in Jesus Christ and that to live apart from this world means living a lie. For the Baptists, to compromise with lies for the sake of a peaceful life is to bend the knee to death. What do we do with Pastor Sipko when we read Romans 13? Remember last week. What do we do with Pastor Sipko when we get to passages like 1 Peter 2? Here it is. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We will look at 1 Peter next week leading up to the general election. But can you envision a situation when the church should not obey the governing authorities? Do you think Pastor Sipko was justified to not bend the knee to Soviet Russia and to not wear the badge with Lenin on it and the scarf that represented the Soviet Union? Do you think he was justified? Can you imagine a situation where not the government, but your company 
tells you to do something uncomfortable, like sign a statement, wear the pin, support a position that is obviously and blatantly against your biblical convictions. American Christianity is blissfully ignorant of what it means to be persecuted for obeying God over, to borrow a phrase, over Big Brother, 1984, George Orwell, over big business. American Christians, generally speaking, do not have a category of being ready to give up everything, including a job, to follow Christ. We hear the story about Pastor Sipko, but we don't know how to relate to his situation, at least not yet. This sermon, as I continue, is not meant to be like this doomsday sermon, but I think it is a reality check. I think it's a potential wake-up call. It's a heart check. It's a call to be ready. It's It's a call for mothers and fathers to teach their children in the ways of the Lord. This sermon is a window into church history, as you've heard and you'll continue to hear, but also a window into seeing what the Bible says regarding Christian descent. As we look through the window of church history and biblical history, I want us to consider the circumstances as to why Christians did not submit to the governing authorities. My hope is that this sermon helps clarify the line between the call to submit, again, Romans 13, and the mandate, that's a very strong language, the mandate to disobey the governing authorities peaceably. In my opinion, there are no two books in the Bible that overtly deal with moments when Christians are called by God to disobey the governing authorities. There are at least two books in the Bible that give us a picture of graceful Christian descent. The book of Acts and the book of Daniel, right? As a local church, we have seen throughout our journey in Acts that the church is being persecuted, right? They have been told over and over again, stop preaching the gospel. Stop preaching about this guy named Jesus. Knock it off. Stop preaching about the crucifixion and resurrection. But the church did not stop. It did not. The more they were persecuted, the more they were scattered to go out into the ends of the earth. We have seen how God has providentially used the persecuting governing authorities to disperse the church. Talk about God being sovereign over us. Through persecution, the church was scattered. Perhaps The story which best captures the tension between the church and the governing authorities is found in Acts 5. Peter and his companions were told once again to stop preaching. They were arrested, thrown to prison, and then we read about this exchange. Very relevant to what we see in Daniel 6, which we'll get to here in one moment. Acts 5. And when they, Peter and his companions, were brought to them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you to not teach in this name, Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us? Peter's response is absolutely significant. Listen. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God 
rather than man. It is better to obey God rather than man. Do you feel that conviction deeply? Let me take the, past, the story of Pastor Sipko and make it real. Let's say your work, um, your company that you work for, uh, generally likes you, right? You're a good worker. Your position, uh, you enjoy it, right? Uh, your coworkers know you're a Christian. Y'all get along. But in May, your company sends the memo out to the entire company saying that you're going to have to wear a gay pride pin in June, right? The company wants to celebrate diversity, etc. Now, you know what the scriptures say. You know what your biblically informed conscience is telling you. But the question does become, what do you do? The prophet Daniel was faced with the dilemma of who to honor, God or his authorities. The circumstances in Daniel 6 actually mirror what we read in Daniel 3. In Daniel 3, we read King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold uh, to christen the, gold, christen the golden statue. All the top governing authorities kind of came to celebrate. Great statue, King Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me. We're going to come celebrate, so everyone's there. At the celebration, it was declared that all people, all people, no exceptions, were to fall down and worship this statue. And if someone did not fall down in worship, they're going to be burned alive. It's Daniel 3. Some of you know the story. The Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would not fall down. They would not compromise their faith in God. They weren't going to wear the pin. They would not submit to King Nebuchadnezzar. As a result, they were tossed into the furnace. But you know the story. God saved them. It's a phenomenal story. We tend, to, we tend to remember the story for what God did to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego while they were in the fiery furnace, but we can't forget how they landed in the furnace. They did not compromise their faith. They worshiped God and God alone. In chapter 6, we read Daniel faced a similar proposition. Daniel was one of the top dogs in the government. At this point, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire had been displaced. King Darius and the Persians and Medes are now in charge. Daniel had moved his way up the governmental ladder. It's clear from this passage, King Darius appreciated Daniel, but not everyone had the same sentiment toward Daniel. The king liked him, but not everyone. Daniel's coworkers did not like him. They disliked Daniel so much they wanted him gone. But there was one problem. This is what we read in Daniel 6. Daniel was a solid guy. What I mean is Daniel lived above reproach. His dealings are ethical. He doesn't abuse his power for personal gain. He wasn't receiving kickbacks from special interest lobbying groups, right? So how were Daniel's adversaries going to what get him we read of their strategy in verse 5 of Daniel 6 it says this we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless unless 
Here's one way, unless we find it in connection with the law of God. So there is a way to get him, and they want to expose that way. These professional politicians are going to go after Daniel's faith. Before moving forward, here's the question. Here's a question I want to propose in light of what we see, Daniel's character, right? Daniel's character on display. If your coworkers, neighbors, people you interact with you know, daily, right, were pulled, right, what would they say about your integrity? What would they say about your faith? Do they see your devotion to God? Is your faith hidden in a basket, you know, what we read about in the Gospels? Or do you lift up the basket so others can see the light that is within you, the gospel coming out, pouring forth? Where Daniel got in trouble, as it were, is that these guys knew whom he was ultimately devoted to. It can be a hard line to walk in a company with their expectations and your personal faith in God. I don't want to minimize that for a moment. Christian public school teachers are put into compromising situations where they're required to teach something against their Christian convictions. Doctors and nurses can be placed in situations where where worldly ethics run counter to Christian ethics. A financial advisor finds a loophole that isn't technically illegal, but perhaps unethical. Your Christian faith is frequently in direct conflict with the expectations of the world, the policies at work, or perhaps the demands of government. Daniel is a Christian case study about what it looks like to work and live in this political monster of the monarchy while never compromising his faith. Daniel's unfriendly co-workers knew what they had to do. They went behind Daniel's back and went to the king. They buttered him up a bit and then proposed that for 30 days the entire kingdom just worship Darius. For 30 days. It says in verse 6, all the governing authorities agreed. Right? So Daniel's adversaries not only got the king to agree, but all these other authorities who were around, like, yeah, let's do this. This seems logical. Let's worship King Darius. Darius signs the injunction, and now we see a true test of Daniel's faith. It's one thing for others to be hostile to the dedication of Daniel, but it's an entirely different ballgame when Daniel's co-workers want him killed. Notice how they boxed Daniel in. They pitted the law of of God against the law of the Medes and Persians. They took what Daniel loved, verse 6, and created a secular law that would come into direct conflict and contradiction with the law of God. Y'all might be thinking, This kind of conflict does not exist in the United States. We have the Constitution, which states the church is separate from the state, right? Well, not so fast. 
We do not need to live under a monarchy, Daniel, or under communist, a communist governor, government, Pastor Sipko, to see the faith of Christians can be put into direct conflict with the state. In July this year, here's one example, the New York Times, yes, I read the New York Times, reported Calvary Chap- Chapel, Dayton Valley, in Dayton, Nevada, sued the state of Nevada because of restrictions placed upon houses of worship during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now stick with me here. Calvary Chapel was not arguing, that, listen, they were not arguing that the state should not implement restrictions. That wasn't their point. But that the state government must be equal in enacting COVID-19 restrictions. That's all they wanted was some equality. In the opinion of the lawyers of Calvary Chapel, the state is discriminating against houses of worship, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, etc. They were discriminating against houses of worship and favoring other industries like, what do we got in Nevada? Casinos. What do casinos do? Make money. The case technically made it to the Supreme Court in short order, but the Supreme Court of the United States refused to hear the case on on a five to four vote. Listen, I am not trying to make a uh, political statement. If this story was 20 years old, we all would not bat an eye. But the story does hit close to home. We're still in the middle of a COVID-19 pandemic. In my opinion, churches in the state of Nevada and other states are being unjustly discriminated against at this time. I do believe that is the truth. If we were in a state that said to the church, you cannot gather, and we don't know when you'll ever be able to gather again, but it's okay for businesses to gather, for restaurants to gather, for people to go to the casino, what would you think? Yes, COVID-19 is real. I am not dismissing that for one moment. Please do not hear that. Precautions should be taken. I'm not minimizing a virus that is killing people, in particular the elderly and the vulnerable. However, how far will you let your governing authorities restrict your ability to worship? It's a very real question that we've got to wrestle with. How far will you let an authority restrict your ability to gather, to sing, to pray, to publicly use spiritual gift, to encourage one another, to break bread together? Let me be blunt. A physically isolated Christian, honestly, is an unhealthy Christian. That's what we read in the scriptures. We need each other. If any governing authority attempts to isolate a person of faith indefinitely, then Christian dissent is absolutely on the table. Christian dissent is not a category we use often. It's not a category I've used often. But it does need to be in the back of our mind. We must have a category for Christian descent if and when authorities, government, or business keeps you from worshiping your creator in the manner in which God intends. I get that this is uncomfortable. I do. But I also think it's biblical. 
How did Daniel dissent when he was told he could not pray to God for 30 days? He went and prayed. Take a look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this injunction, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I have a couple observations about Daniel's descent. First, the injunction was for only 30 days, right? Daniel could have sat back and started like the 30-day countdown. He could have got like, you know, the paper calendar, put it up in his bedroom wall, right, and grab the Sharpie and just cross out the day as each day went past, just cross it out, wait for the 30 days to go. What are 30 days when you consider your entire life? Like if I live until I'm 80 years old, I will have lived 29,200 days. 30 days of 29,200 are less than 0.1% of my life. Hardly a drop in the bucket. But Daniel would not compromise. His biblical principles were not going to be pushed around by a small percentage or by the governing authorities. His love for God was more significant than his job and his love for country. So Daniel prayed. What one could wonder why Daniel did not pray and worship like away from the window? I mean, why did he need to like what it seems to be like make a public statement? He could have like gone into the closet, into the bedroom, just just back away, man. Why draw attention to the dissent? I do not think Daniel is trying to make a point, right, uh, to, the, to, to those who are uh, his adversaries. I don't think he's trying to make a point. He's not a provocateur. Christians should not be a provocateurs, right? But Daniel is con- being consistent. That's what's going on here. His manner and habit of praying before the injunction are the same after the injunction was enacted. He remained consistent in his devotion to God regardless of the external circumstances. Once again, I want to turn Daniel's actions into a question directed toward you and I. Prudence and wisdom in light of the pandemic notwithstanding, will we remain consistent in faith and practice regardless of our external circumstances? Let me be be very direct about the question. If the governing authorities were to tell you, you cannot worship God, are you willing to defy the government and face death for your defiance? Daniel was ready to die. He knew the consequences of his actions. It was stated in the injunction. More stories from church history. This is more recent church history. In parts of the slave-holding South before the Civil War, black brothers and sisters in Christ were prevented from worshiping God. They were prevented from reading their Bible. Some slave owners who knew about the liberating message of the gospel actually took steps to make sure these black men and women were illiterate so that they could not read the Bible. 
the black Christians would defy the slave owner's demands to not worship. A result was the creation of spiritual songs. These songs were sung to give hope to people living in a hopeless situation. Despite being persecuted, they did not let go of their faith in God. As we read in this passage, Daniel is thrown into the den of lions. King Darius is reluctant because he likes Daniel, but the politicians around Darius force his hand. Darius cannot go back on his degree. He doesn't want to appear weak. And into the lion's den goes Daniel. The king says to Daniel, as the large stone is put in front of the entrance, he says this, may your God whom you serve continuously deliver you. You all know the story. God shuts the mouth of the lions. God delivers Daniel from death. God delivers Daniel from death, not because he exercised faith. Daniel was faithful, and he knew very well he should have died. God delivers Daniel because of the effect Daniel's faith would have on King Darius. You see what God is up to? King Darius was stunned and relieved to see Daniel alive. Because Daniel stuck with his biblical convictions over the injunction of the government, we read God used that situation to move Darius in his heart. Here's what happens when you see God move in the heart of a king. It says this in our text. Logan didn't read it, but you can bring your eyes down to verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. Here's what he said to them. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree. We got a new decree here. I was a little nervous about the last one. Now, what about this one? He said that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall not come to an end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, and he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Instead of people worshiping Darius, they are to worship God. Instead of fearing Darius, they are to fear the Almighty God. Daniel chapter 6 begins with several references about the kingdom of Darius. And now Darius says that the kingdom of God shall never be destroyed. Darius declares it is not the government that delivers and rescues. It is the God whom Daniel worships who delivers and rescues. I'm going to say that one more time. Darius declares it is not the government that delivers and rescues. It is the God whom Daniel worships whom delivers and rescues. Not all Christian descent leads to the changes we read about with King Darius, right? We know that. So when the chips are stacked against you, 
when it seems like your faith is being tested, when you're asked to wear the pin to sign the statement, when the law of man contradicts the law of God. What do you do? What do you want others to see in you? Here's what we want others to see. We want others to see love and peace demonstrated through our faith. The love and peace of Christ shown through faith can impact your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your coworkers in ways you do not see or perhaps you will never know. When biblical actions match your biblical principles, a world can look on and wonder. People around you may look on and wonder, wow, that person's faith runs deep. And in a world where everything is so shallow, we want our faith to run deep. We want people to see we worship God and God alone. When everyone is willing to be pragmatic and compromise, we stand, we sit, and we kneel for God and God alone. Again, some American Christians, I would imagine, will find this message difficult. I find it difficult. At specific points, we have not needed to, to dissent. For hundreds of years, Christians have been able to worship freely in America. I think that's a true statement, generally speaking. But church history and the Bible show us, show us a valuable pattern. Throughout church history, there have been moments when it has been appropriate to disobey the governing authorities peaceably. Throughout the world, there continues to be Christians who are peaceably disobeying the government instead of disobeying God. Sometimes the line between submitting and dissenting is challenging to see. I grant that. So we need wisdom from God to discern well. We need God's grace and help to make wise decisions. Above all, we must not keep our eyes and our heart on King Trump or King Biden. We must keep our eyes and our heart focused on King Jesus. There will be a day when Jesus will deliver and rescue his people from this broken world. Jesus will do what Trump and Biden could never do. Just as Daniel was delivered from the den alliance, so will God's church be delivered. But until that day, we are to live as elect exiles. We're to live as sojourners in a land that is ultimately not our home, not this broken world. We are resident aliens longing for Jesus to return. Until the day Jesus returns, we live with an uncompromising faith in service to the one true king. I'm going to end telling two stories. This one is about a person who has inspired me more than others during the years. Um, many of you may know I'm an admirer of a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may have heard the name. Bonhoeffer was a Christian who lived during the Nazi regime. Unlike many religious leaders, Bonhoeffer did not compromise with the unethical demands of the Nazi government, many church leaders were like, yeah, okay, we're good. Hitler, we're good. Not Bonhoeffer, not his friends. They were not good. 
they would not submit to what had become a state-run church. Bonhoeffer and other faithful Christians were a part of what is called the Confessing Church. Bonhoeffer is well known for his book called The Cost of Discipleship, which had a massive impact in my life. He's also known for the kindness and love he demonstrated to others while he was in several concentration camps where he would eventually die. Before being captured and put into a concentration camp, Bonhoeffer defied the Nazi government by creating an underground seminary. It's one of my favorite stories of all the stories about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer, along with several other men, would continuously move the location of the seminary, attempting to stay out of the reach of the Gestapo. From this seminary, men would emerge and then go out into Germany to try and strengthen Christians who were in fear of the Nazi government. Here's the deal with Bonhoeffer's life that I find amazing. At several points throughout his life, he could have left. He could have got a job at Union University, Union Theological Seminary in New York. He could have got that job. At one point, he was in London pastoring immigrants, German immigrants who've moved to, to London. He could have stayed there. He got one of his mentors said, hey, come to neutral Switzerland, and you'll be safe here. You're too young to die. You're brilliant. You have a lot to offer. But Bonhoeffer was always drawn back to Germany. He went back because he knew good must overcome evil. He knew the hope of Germany lies not in the government, but the gospel. He knew that obeying God was vastly more important than obeying man. One more story, and then I'll be done. One final story of a man who dissented from his governing authorities. Our Lord Jesus refused to compromise in the face of false accusations. Our Lord Jesus refused to compromise even though death was knocking at the door. Our Lord Jesus refused to tell lies. Instead, he only spoke the truth. Our Lord Jesus ultimately died at the hands of the authorities so that you and I, Christian, can experience true freedom. We have a freedom that no government can offer. The man who said, pay your taxes, also dissented out of sacrifice and love. So yes, obey your governing authorities, pay your taxes, provided that your relationship with God and your conscience are not violated. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.